Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy these classic episodes from the TDI HC Vault. I'm currently researching a new crop of stories for next year, so be sure to join me on January 2nd when we return with all new episodes. Talk to you soon. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's December 6th. The Halifax disaster took place on this day in 1917. With the exception of nuclear explosions, this is one of the biggest man-made explosions in history. And it happened when two ships collided in the harbor at Halifax. There was a French freighter called the Mont Blanc and a Norwegian freighter called the Emo. The Mont Blanc was carrying explosives for the war effort. This was during World War I. The Emo was headed to New York to pick up food to take to Belgium as part of a relief effort because there were people in Europe who were, frankly, starving in the wake of World War I. Neither of these ships planned to be in the harbor at this particular time. There was an anti-submarine boom that was being used at night to try to protect the harbor from German U-boats. And the Emo had wanted to leave the day before, but they needed to pick up an order of coal, and that coal didn't get there until it was too late. The boom had already been put in place. They couldn't get out. The Mont Blanc was supposed to have arrived on the 6th, but had gotten there a little bit ahead of schedule the night before, but also too late to get into the harbor. So then on the morning of the 6th, both ships were trying to navigate a very busy, very crowded, narrow waterway. And they started approaching each other on a collision course after a series of twists and turns and attempts to get around other maritime traffic. The Emo hit the Mont Blanc a little after 8.30 a.m., 
When this happened, some of the containers aboard the Mont Blanc broke, and sparks from the collision started a fire. So the Mont Blanc's captain, knowing what was aboard, ordered everybody to abandon ship. But no one else really knew what the Mont Blanc was carrying. Normally, it would have been flying a flag marking that it carried munitions, so people would have known there was explosive material aboard the ship. But that wasn't being flown because of the war effort. There were fears that doing that would just make the ship a target for a German torpedo attack. So when this collision happened on shore, a lot of people stopped what they were doing to go watch, which is a pretty normal human behavior. They didn't know that there was such dangerous material on one of the ships. They didn't know they needed to take cover. People gathered at windows and all of the buildings around the water. They gathered on rooftops. And the few people who did, for whatever reason, know what was happening or intuit what was happening, they tried to clear the docks and get people out of the way, but there were just too many people Not enough foreknowledge of what was about to happen. And at 9.06 a.m., the Mont Blanc exploded. Debris was thrown for miles away from the ship. The ship's gun landed five and a half kilometers away. And it said the shockwave from the explosion was felt 300 kilometers away. Hundreds of people instantly died. And altogether, more than 2,000 people were killed and 9,000 more were injured and needed medical treatment. A lot of the injuries were eye injuries and blindness. Thousands of buildings were also damaged in the explosion. A rescue effort started almost immediately but was soon hampered by a blizzard. Naturally, an inquiry followed this. It had been a major disaster with a huge loss of life, but ultimately it was found that the Mont Blanc and the Emo were both at fault. The city of Boston sent aid to the city of Halifax, and in return, Halifax sends a Christmas tree to Boston every year with a lot of pomp and fanfare on both ends of the journey. You can learn more about this on the December 19th, 2011 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a date that still does live in infamy. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. 
What's up, guys? This is Sean Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast for folks who can never have enough history knowledge. Today is December 6th, 2019. The day was December 6, 1912. A team led by German archaeologist Ludwig Borchardt unearthed a limestone bust of ancient Egyptian queen Nefertiti. The bust has since become an iconic and often copied representation of Nefertiti. Nefertiti reigned as queen of Egypt in the 14th century BCE, and she was the wife of the pharaoh Akhenaten of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Borchardt and a team of archaeologists from the German Oriental Society were excavating at Amarna, a site in Egypt, when they unearthed a bust of Nefertiti in the workshop of a sculptor named Thutmose. Borchardt described the bust in his diary, but then wrote that there was no use in describing the art and that you have to see it. The bust is about 19 inches or 48 centimeters tall. It's made of limestone and coated with layers of painted stucco. Nefertiti is wearing a tall, flat-topped blue crown with a golden diadem band wrapped around it and a broken ureus, or cobra, in the front. She is also wearing a patterned collar, and the pupil of her right eye is made of quartz that's painted black. Her left eye does not have the same crystal inlay. In January of 1913, the excavation finds from Amarna were divided into two lists. Gustave Lefebvre, inspector of the Egyptian Antiquities Service, did not take the list that had Nefertiti's bust on it. Nefertiti, as well as other busts, were awarded to Berlin. The artifacts came under the possession of philanthropist James Simon, co-founder and treasurer of the German Oriental Society and funder of the Amarna excavations. Simon donated the works he had from Amarna to the new museum in Berlin, and ownership of the artifacts was transferred to the state of Prussia. Though many finds from the Amarna excavation were put on display, the Nefertiti bust was not shown to the public until an exhibition in Berlin in 1924. During World War II, the Nazis moved the bust for safekeeping, but after the war, the bust was displayed in West Berlin. In 1957, a decade after the state of Prussia dissolved, the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation became the legal owner of the Nefertiti bust. Today, the sculpture is part of the Egyptian Museum of Berlin collection and is on display at the new museum. But Egypt has been calling for the return of the bust since 1924. Pierre Lacoe, director of the Egyptian Antiquities Service, requested its repatriation that year. Dr. Zahi Hawass, former secretary general of the Egyptian Supreme Council of Antiquities, believes the bust was taken from Egypt illegally and has called for the return of antiquities taken out of Egypt during the colonial era. Despite Egyptian authorities' persistent attempts to reclaim Nefertiti's bust and some German recognition of concerns surrounding ethics and appropriation, the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation still claims ownership of the bust. 
Swiss art historian Henri Stierlin and historian Erdogan Erjouan have both claimed that the bust is a fake. But those claims have been dismissed as publicity stunts, since scientific analysis has verified its authenticity. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. We also accept electronic letters at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening and have a fantastic 24 hours until we see you again. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at lightsoutxf.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to lightsoutxf.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes there's no time like the present to learn about the past. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the time when Thomas Edison invented a way to record and play back his own voice, thus paving the way for the entire podcast industry. The day was December 6th, 1877. At his lab in Menlo Park, New Jersey, inventor Thomas Edison made the first recording on his newly completed phonograph. When his aide, John Crusey, had put the finishing touches on the machine, Edison christened it by reciting the 1830 nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. The poem was probably on his mind, since at the time, his daughter Marion was four years old, and his eldest son was almost two. Edison's original recording no longer exists, but the inventor actually recreated it for the invention's 50th anniversary in 1927. Take a listen. First words I spoke in the original phonograph. A little piece of practical poetry. 
Mary had a little lamb, its feet was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Thomas Edison is best remembered for his invention of the electric light bulb, but his first brush with fame was two years earlier, when he debuted the phonograph. A marvel at the time, it was the first instrument that could both record sound and reproduce it. Edison came up with the idea of the phonograph by chance while working on improvements to the telegraph. He had recently found success in the business market with a machine that could record telegraph transmissions so that they could be decoded later. That way, an operator could step away from the telegraph without fear of missing an incoming message. It was like an early version of the answering machine, except instead of recording sound onto tape, it recorded dots and dashes by embossing them onto paper. It was this general concept of recording that led Edison to wonder if the same could be done with sound itself. The recording of sound wasn't actually a challenge. Other inventors had already devised ways to record sounds as written notation, similar to Edison's telegraph equipment. However, playing back the recorded sound as something you could actually hear, that hadn't been done before. Edison typically took a business-like approach to his inventions, rarely making a move without extensive planning and a clear practical end in mind. However, he made an exception for his efforts to record and playback sound, and in the end, that meandering approach paid off. As Edison reflected years later, quote, When I have fully decided that a result is worth getting, I go about it and make trial after trial until it comes. I never did anything worth doing by accident, nor did any of my inventions come indirectly through accident, except the phonograph. He began experimenting in the summer of 1877. The first step was figuring out how to record sound in such a way that it could be reproduced later. Edison hit upon the idea of a diaphragm attached to an embossing needle. When sound waves caused the diaphragm to vibrate, the needle would etch its movements onto a piece of wax paper to make a recording. With help from his assistants, Edison whipped up a prototype and was satisfied with the result, noting that, quote, the vibrations are indented nicely, and there is no doubt that I shall be able to store up and reproduce at any future time the human voice perfectly. By August, Edison had dubbed his new invention the phonograph. For the next several months, he and his crew shifted their focus to the next part of the problem, finding the right recording medium that would actually play back audible sound. Edison's notes show that a host of options were considered, some of which were actually built as prototypes. By late November, they had settled on using a rotating brass cylinder wrapped with tinfoil. The recording process was done through a piece of a telephone called a repeater, which acted as a microphone. The sound waves of a person's voice would be recorded as grooves, which a needle would scratch into the foil-wrapped cylinder. Then, to play back the sound, the needle would vibrate as it retraced the grooves of the recorded sound waves. The workman tasked with completing the prototype was John Crusey, but he didn't have much faith that the machine would work. And to be fair, Edison didn't either. 
but there was only one way to find out. On December 6th, the phonograph was finally ready to be tested. Edison described the moment of truth, writing, quote, It was finished. The foil was put on. I then shouted, Mary had a little lamb, etc. I adjusted the reproducer, and the machine reproduced it perfectly. I was never so taken aback in my life. Everybody was astonished. I was always afraid of things that worked the first time. Long experience proved that there were great drawbacks found generally before they could be got commercial. But here was something there was no doubt of. The very next day, Edison paid an unannounced visit to the editors of Scientific American Magazine in New York. There, he gave a demonstration of his new invention, and the spectators were just as astonished to see it worked as the inventor had been. The publication later recounted the event, saying, quote, Mr. Thomas A. Edison recently came into this office and placed before the editors a small, simple machine about which very few preliminary remarks were offered. The visitor, without any ceremony whatever, turned the crank, and to the astonishment of all present, the machine said, Good morning. How do you do? How do you like the phonograph? The machine thus spoke for itself and made known the fact that it was the phonograph. These remarks were not only perfectly audible to ourselves, but to a dozen or more persons gathered around, and they were produced by the aid of no other mechanism than the simple little contrivance. With a working prototype and successful demonstration, Edison filed for a patent on the phonograph in late 1877 and received it in February of the next year. Interestingly, when he began to market the machine, he presented it primarily as an office tool for dictating letters. He also envisioned it as an alternative to the recently invented telephone, which was still too expensive for most people to own. The idea was that people could go to a store, record a message on a phonographic tube, and then mail it to a friend or relative to be played back on a different machine. It wouldn't have been as fast or convenient as simply calling someone up, but it would provide a permanent recording that could be replayed as many times as you wanted. A little further down on Edison's list of potential uses was the recording of music. He got a little sidetracked by the light bulb, but he eventually made his way into the music business. In 1888, Edison released what he called the perfected phonograph. This new and improved model used recordings etched onto wax cylinders instead of the old brass and foil ones. The change improved sound quality and reduced wear and tear during playback. The earliest of these cylinders could only hold about two minutes of content, but that was long enough. Edison started selling recordings of music and recitations of speeches and poems, essentially starting the world's first record company. Of course, it wasn't long before competitors began producing their own cylinders. Gradually, this competition led to further innovation, such as being able to make recordings longer than two minutes. Another limitation of using wax cylinders was that each one had to be recorded from live music. That made mass production difficult, as there was no way to scale the recording process 
beyond the number of phonographs you could fit into a room with a musician. That ultimately changed when the recording industry switched over to discs, which could be stamped to create as many copies as needed. As for Edison, his company also ditched the cylinders and remained profitable well into the 1920s. However, before the decade was out, the radio made its debut and Edison saw the writing on the wall. He shut down his recording company in 1929 and stepped away from the industry he himself had invented. Edison's cylinders may have been supplanted by discs, which have themselves given way to digital files, but each new medium still hinges on that same absurd premise that he stumbled on over a century ago, that it's possible to speak into a machine and then have the machine speak back. What a concept. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What's up, guys? This is Sean Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.